This is Examine Sport, a podcast of the sports ethicist. I am your host, Sean Klein. Each episode of Examine Sport focuses on a paper in the philosophy of sport literature. We look at classic discipline-defining articles, exciting newly published works, and dig deep for important but not as well-known papers. You can subscribe, comment, and find an archive of all shows, along with links and related information at sportsethicist.com. In this episode of Examine Sport, I discuss Nicholas Dixon's Immoral Critique of Mixed Martial Arts, published in Public Affairs Quarterly in 2015. Now, in, a, in an earlier episode, uh, I examined uh, Dixon's paper that argued for restrictions on boxing. But here, Dixon takes up mixed martial arts. And this paper is one of the first philosophic analyses of the sport of MMA, making it an important work to examine. In his Boxing, Paternalism, and Legal Moralism, Dixon argues that boxing needs to be restricted and reformed based on what he calls preemptive paternalism. That is, in order to protect the future autonomy of boxers, boxing ought to prohibit blows to the head. Right. This was in, in a matter because of the brain damage from the blows to the head. This would damage their future uh, ability to make choices, to, to live autonomously. So to protect that autonomy now, uh, they had to, uh, the argument suggests that one ought to prohibit those blows to the head. Now, Dixon notes that MMA has obvious similarities to boxing, but that preemptive paternalism does not, quote, get off the ground in the case of MMA, end quote. Now, MMA certainly leads to many physical injuries, broken bones, cuts, bruises, and so on. But there isn't, quote, conclusive evidence of a comparable risk of a comparable level of brain damage. And so Dixon sets aside the paternalistic argument to examine more directly the morality of MMA on its own. Is the activity itself moral? Now, Dixon argues that it's not. He is going to argue that the sport is fundamentally and intrinsically immoral. Now, this is based on the idea that the core explicit goal of MMA is to hurt, injure, and incapacitate the opponent, and that, quote, attempting to hurt and injure another person is morally problematic, even if the victim is a willing participant. This is because it's a violation of the Kantian categorical imperative, quote, to use humanity, whether in your own person or in the person of another, always at the same time as an end and never merely as a means. Now, one doesn't have to be a Kantian to recognize the moral importance of treating other individuals as moral ends in themselves, not to be used as merely tools to our own ends. But Dixon claims MMM fighters quote, treat each other as objects to be hurt and injured, not as ends in themselves, end quote. And further, that they seem to have to, right? That's the essence of the sport, according to Dixon. To participate in MMA is to treat one's opponent as a mere means. And this is the core reason for Dixon's conclusion that MMA is intrinsically immoral. So let's uh, examine further what Dixon argues, first by looking at what it is to be, quote, merely a means. Now, first, we must accept that each person has intrinsic value. That is, 
individual moral agents are capable of directing and guiding their own actions. They have their own goals and ends, and that their value as individuals is independent of any benefit that they can provide or any gain we might get from them. Each person has a value that is non-instrumental, not conditional on what they can do or provide. So treating someone as a mere means is to fail to respect this value. It's to fail to respect that core individual intrinsic value. It treats the person as an instrument, as an object, a tool whose main purpose is to provide one with a benefit. It's to define that person's value as something wholly instrumental, just in terms of what benefit they can provide. Now, applying this to MMA, Dixon says that the explicit goal of MMA is to inflict pain and injury. The point of the sport is to cause sufficient pain and injury so that the opponent taps out or can no longer continue. As such, Dixon says, quote, mixed martial arts is a prolonged mutual assault. Now, in an assault, the victim is a mere means. Quote, perpetrators ignore their victim's pain and injury in order to achieve whatever goals they attain by their attack, end quote. There's no respect for the victim as an end unto herself. The victim is an instrument for the perpetrator's goals. The perpetrator, in quote, deliberately injuring them, treats them as having no more value than objects with no feelings, end quote. So instead of an individual human being with his own goals and ends, they are treated as a mere object without feeling, there to serve the goals of one using them. Now, no doubt, this would be an awful way to treat another human being, and no one would want to be treated this way. But what if the participants do consent to be treated in this way? If one willingly agrees to be treated as a means, doesn't this transform the activity into something at least morally permissible? Does the mutual consent of participating in the sport override this apparent wrongness of being treated in this way? This is the counter many defenders of MMA uh, give uh, to the kind of argument that Dixon makes here. And Dixon recognizes that it has some force. Right? He first compares it to the legal maxim of valenti non fit injuria, Latin for a person is not wronged by that to which he or she consents. So if a person chooses it, wants it, it hardly seems that they can be wronged by it. Moreover, quote, to refuse to grant moral force to the consent of competent adults seems to fail to recognize their status as autonomous agents, end quote. Indeed, we seem actually to commit a moral wrong if we don't allow such consent to count. And if we ignore that consent, we seem to be implying that that person doesn't have the competency to make a choice about their own life. Now, if this is true, it's a powerful counter to Dixon's argument. Dixon, though, says that consent is not the moral trump card that is often claimed to be, end quote. And this is because even with consent, MMA violates inalienable rights to dignity and against being treated as an object to damage, end quote. Consent is morally important, but it cannot, argues Dixon, go so far as to override everything. 
There are certain things, like the inalienable right to dignity, that Dixon argues consent cannot override. There are certain kinds of actions, it's claimed, that are inherently degrading and demeaning and thus immoral regardless of consent. Dixon argues that MMA necessarily involves the intent to injure and harm and that this is inherently degrading and demeaning. Thus, consent does not cancel that moral wrongness. Now, in making this case, Dixon appeals to several common examples in the literature of inherently demeaning activities. Now, one is a uh, uh, idea of a, a thoroughly sexist society where the women have so fully internalized the sexist views of that society that they consent to the sexist treatment. Another is a hypothetical racist game show where people compete to hurl uh, awful racist slurs at each other. And the last is an example of dwarf tossing. This is a, a, uh, a pub or bar uh, activity uh, where little people are thrown in a contest to see who can throw the little person farthest. Now, in each, it is supposed that the participants fully consent to the activity but that this consent doesn't override the moral wrongness of the activity. Sexism is, sexism is wrong even when consented to. Racist epithets are forms of disrespect regardless of consent within the game show context, contest. And treating little people as objects in a game is demeaning even if they consent to it. Until participants in such activities, quote, imply such profound disregard for their moral worth as to fail to treat them as ends in themselves. The consent in each case doesn't alter the core fact that someone is being misused, abused, treated as a mere object, not a human being, and that this is fundamentally de demeaning and degrading. And Dixon goes on to say that MMA fighters, quote, have a malicious attitude, end quote, towards their opponent, insofar as they explicitly and necessarily intend to hurt and injure that opponent. The MMA fighter objectifies their opponents while intending to cause them harm, and Dixon concludes that MMA is therefore inherently demeaning and immoral. Now, Dixon closes the paper by examining and responding to several objections to his argument. The first is that contrary to Dixon's description, MMA fighters do respect one another. They do not seem to have that malicious attitude that Dixon attributes to them. Now, Dixon's reply is that this might be true, but it doesn't overturn the claim that deliberately hurting one's opponent is inherently demeaning. The mutual respect fighters have from one another doesn't, Dixon claims, transform the intrinsic wrongness of that intent to injure. Another objection is that Dixon's use of dwarf tossing doesn't match the conditions of MMA. The claim is, is that the wrongness of dwarf tossing is tied to the history of discrimination against little people. Dixon's reply is that while that history makes that activity uh, worse, the source of the wrongness is still primarily the treating of the little person who, who participates as an object of ridicule, as a mere means towards entertainment. Thus, he argues, the analogy holds. Now, there are many sports in which injury and harm are frequent. So why is MMA being singled out here? And Dixon argues that what marks out MMA 
is different is that while other sports like American football involve acts that cause injury and harm, in MMA, such acts are inseparable from what it is to be engaged in MMA. Football involves tackles and hits that cause harm, but the point of such actions, such actions is to prevent progress of the ball. The harm is a side effect. In MMA, the harm is the point, and that makes it quite different on Dixon's view. Now, another objection argues that there are harms in competitive activities that might be worse than the physical injuries caused in MMA. Many of the rewards of competition are zero-sum, and so one person's victory means a loss to someone else. And this can be severe if it translates into losing out on a professional career, a college scholarship, or some significant contract. Now, Dixon's main reply here is that first, a setback to one's interests is not the same thing as a moral wrong. One's interests can be set back by perfectly moral activities. Second, the point of his argument is that the act of trying to harm and injure your opponent is demeaning and degrading, and that this is morally wrong. That there may be other moral wrongs present in sport doesn't undermine the argument for this being a moral wrong. Now, the last objection that Dixon takes on is the idea that there are many virtues to be cultivated and experienced in a dangerous sport such as MMA. Dixon's reply is that while there are many virtues to dangerous sport, these virtues do not overturn, in the case of MMA, the inherent wrongness of intending to cause injury. The core problem of treating opponents as a mere means remains. Now, Dixon concludes that MMA is inherently immoral since it involves a problematic intent to cause injury and harm. This judgment is not overridden by the voluntary informed consent of the participants, since the wrong in this case is not something that can be consented to. Whether Dixon's argument is sound or not, I'll leave to the listeners to decide for themselves. Regardless, though, it is an important paper because it is one of the first to examine MMA from a moral point of view and does so in a way that brings many important ethical concepts to bear. Thank you for listening to Examine Sport. You can subscribe, comment, and find an archive of all shows, along with links and related information at sportsethicist.com. Please also consider rating the show at Apple Podcasts, liking it on YouTube, and sharing on Facebook, Twitter, and elsewhere. You can email the show, sportsethicist at gmail.com.